We've been in the, the midst of a, of a series here that we're calling the Good Shepherd Series. And this is our um, latest, uh, I think, number four installment here on Father's Day as we're going through this. Only six verses and uh, taking these different phrases and unpacking them, opening them up. And uh, as we do so, Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would help us to see what we haven't been able to see. That you would um, illuminate for us, turn the lights on, different areas, particularly for fathers tonight. Not only fathers in the natural, but for spiritual fathers, mentors, disciplers, parents in general. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. We would be lost without it, as it is a path, way for our feet, and a light for our life. Here we go. Let's stand up for the reading of the word tonight. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me inside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Ooh, that last part there, just, you know, it's surely goodness and your love will follow me, chase me down, hunt me down all the days of my life. I get, I get pumped up uh, on that, that last part in particular. Well... Jesus in John 10 describes himself as the good shepherd. And in life, we know that there are also, as we are celebrating Father's Day, that there are good fathers and there's not so good fathers. It's not like there's this manual that we've been given, you know, that you get handed when your baby is, you know, about to be born and all of a sudden you just know how to do things. And, and how to make it work. And not only that, but many of us didn't have good examples before us that we could follow to know what it is to be a good father. And fathers, in many ways, are shepherds. They really are. When we've been talking about sheep, and we've been talking about how helpless sheep are without their shepherd, that in many ways describes a child. They're pretty, they're pretty dependent upon their parents. We talked about how a sheep, there are no wild sheep. They're only domesticated sheep. You put them out into the wild, they're not going to survive. You take a small child and put them out in the wild, it's not likely that they're going to survive. They're really helpless. And so, shepherding is like fathering. And men are in many ways, uniquely designed by God as overseers, as protectors, as servant leaders. 
A lot of times in an unredeemed way, we really emphasize the leadership aspect of it. But God, through Jesus and his demonstration and example, showed us that we're to be servant leaders. That's what we're to do. Ephesians 5, Paul talks about laying down our life for our family, for our lives. That's what a man innately in Christ is called to do. To lay down his life, to sacrifice. There's something in us that that um, just the, the protector in us comes out. Especially with my three girls. My three girls, man, it, when my when my you know when my girls were born, it was it was unbelievable the emotion that just came out. And it was oh, I was just cradling them, and then when the boys came along, justice was first, you know, it was just like you know, smacking bottom, it's like, hey, kid, suck it up, kid. You gotta start now. You gotta start somewhere. You know, was, there was a whole different response, a whole different attitude um, toward my boys. But the girls get my heart in ways that uh, the boys don't. Um, but that protector thing comes out of me as a father. That is just, you know, the closest thing I guess would be that mama bear thing, right, Heidi? You know that mama bear thing. It's like, do not mess with my baby cubs. And. Uh, but we want to, we want to obviously, this is a time, uh, I didn't know this was worldwide, Andrew told me this, being an international guy here, but he was saying, you know, around the world it's celebrated. Is that true in India as well? Okay. Everywhere but India. Okay. Andrew, we could um, just uh, put a record on that. Um, we just celebrated Mother's Day. We went through a whole list of things that Mother's Day represents for women. And um, for many, the loss, the pain that's associated with it is no different here as we come to Father's Day. There's some tough stuff that I know people in here in this room, because I know your lives in some way, shape, or form, some of you more than others, that you've, you've had some very difficult experiences when it comes to fathering. I've, in the times where I've connected with guys and talked to them about their life as a father and different ones, it's, it's almost like you get this, you know, when, when guys, veterans come home from war and there's this PTSD thing, post-traumatic stress disorder thing where they get that thousand-yard stare. They're just, they kind of, you know, and it's because of the unbelievable emotional trauma that they've experienced. I'm not saying that from experience myself. Just only knowing my dad is that friends who served in Vietnam and different things where they just, they come home very different. And the difficulties and the challenges that life brings us produce sometimes that type of effect where you got these these men who are walking around uh, living life but they they feel as complete failures i never add up I, i'm never going to amount to anything i i couldn't do enough to to get the the um you know get my dad to be proud of me and now my wife and, and my friends and whoever it is and you just you know you continue in this it's like post-traumatic stress dad you know ptsd in that way and those challenges are, are brutal feeling like you don't amount to much the loss of dads 
just here on my birthday here on the 17th, um, you know, many of you know, Lisa and I uh, were just celebrating the life of her dad who just passed um, a year ago on my birthday. Those are very tough things. Dave Miner just losing his dad. Some of us have great examples, others not so much. Ultimately, the true and the perfect example that we all have is Father God. That's it. When we don't add up, we look to Him. Even as perfect as He is, look what happened to His kids. Everybody can raise their hands, right? And the first two were in a perfect environment. Adam and Eve, his first two kids, perfect environment, if you will, earthly kids. And yet, they failed miserably. And that effect has infected all of us and all of mankind. Well, praise God, as we come to this next um, portion of the Good Shepherd series here, this section, this part of the verse, He restores my soul. Everybody say that with me. He restores my soul. The fact uh, that the author is declaring that his shepherd restores his soul shows that as humans, uh, as humans, we are at times um, unbelievably discouraged. Seemingly irreparably broken, in need of healing. Anybody? Anybody fit that, fit that description? Absolutely. I mean, here is, this is written from the perspective of whom? The shepherd or the... The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, yeah, so he's written... So how is it that if the Lord is my shepherd, he does all these things and I receive all these benefits as a result of belonging to him and him being Lord of my life, and yet I need restoring... Because as humans, we are broken. And as fathers, in particular, we're no different from that. I, on a regular basis, need restoration of my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. But this statement is something that can only be made by someone whose life is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, without Jesus, without God being our shepherd, it's just wishful thinking. Because we don't receive the restoration of our soul. Why? Because we are not turning to Him as the source of restoration. So what are we left with? We're left to try and restore ourselves. So we turn to all kinds of self-help programs, meditation, and all kinds of things. Trying to heal the soul. Eastern meditation through whatever, you know, yoga in and of itself, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Obviously, the spiritual meditation aspect of it, uh, incantations or whatever it would be, obviously there's an issue there. But those things are not going to restore the soul, are they? They're not going to restore the soul. Only the Good Shepherd restores our soul. All right, Elisha. Oops, sorry. 
Elisha, who wrote Psalm 23? Can you think of who that is? This song, the Lord is my shepherd, he became... Yeah, that's right. Good job. Extra piece of candy for Elisha, okay? All right. So David, here, he writes this song. He's in need of restoration of his soul. And what do we know about David? Well, he started, he had a great start. From what we see in terms of his beginnings, what did he start off? What was his occupation? Yeah, he was a shepherd. And he started off with this faithful son who's diligently taking care of his dad's sheep. And, you know, he's, he's the man. And then he becomes this national hero. How does he do that? Remember what happened? That's right. Extra piece of candy for Mr. Nice Grand here. Okay. That's right. So David, he defeats Goliath. He becomes what for the nation? He becomes the king, right? And then what happens? He starts getting a little bit lazy. Lack of discipline in his life sends the boys out. Second Samuel 11. You can get all the details here, there. And as we go through stories like this, the goal is not to malign or, or put down. We're just as susceptible to the same temptations. But yet God thought that it would be a good idea to have his life held up as an example of God's unbelievable mercy and his unbelievable love and compassion for us. The good shepherd restoring. So he shows this as an example that says, you know what? Here's a pretty horrendous example of what somebody did with their life when they stopped following the leadership of the Good Shepherd. Obviously, David writes this psalm long before things went south. But he's saying, you know what? You're not too far gone that you can't be a recipient of God's grace and His mercy as well. Especially the restoration of your soul. It didn't just happen one day. He began to make compromises in his life. We never just sin and just, you know, like, oh, whoa, I didn't know where that was coming from. No, we slowly make steps of compromise. Holy Spirit comes, brings conviction to our heart. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't look there. Don't listen there. And we ignore those warnings. We know the story. Again, you can go to 2 Samuel 11 if you're not familiar with it. But he, he, he sins. He gets involved with a woman that's not his, his wife. Commits adultery with her. And then murders, has her, her husband murdered so that he can try and cover up the whole thing. And then this father, what happens to his first son as a result of that? His first son that came from, from that, um, that relationship. Yeah? Yeah. As a result of his actions, the death of his son and then his other son has these amazing superpowers. What is it? What was his amazing superpower that Solomon had? Elisha? Wisdom. 
Oh, Jacob, is that what you were going to say? All right, extra candy for Jacob. Good job, buddy. He's got this amazing superpower, but he's got this weakness as well. It's been passed on from his dad that he learned from him about broken relationships. So he's the wisest man that's ever lived, and yet he doesn't even know how to stay committed and love one woman. Say six hundred wives. I would say that would be represent a little bit of relational breakdown. Just a little bit. I think most dads, if you've been a dad for long enough, you could probably say that you've, like me, failed more than you've succeeded. Being a dad is tough business. I, I didn't realize it was going to be so tough. I had very high aspirations of what this was going to be. It, it was more along the lines of fantasy than it was any type of reality. Yeah, seriously. I don't want to pass my failures on to my kids, but I do. I hate it when that happens. So now what? Now I turn to the Good Shepherd every time, hopefully every time, and ask Him to restore my soul. And God, have mercy on my kids. Have mercy on my kids. David would also write a psalm. It goes like this. Everybody familiar with this? Okay. It goes on and it says, I thirst for God, the living God. When I come and stand before Him, day and night I have only tears for food. That is one messed up soul right there when you only have tears for food. You can't even eat. You're in such anguish. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? Where is this God, Rod? Where is he? He's left you high and dry. Where is he now? Look at the circumstances in your life. You're a failure. Look at your weaknesses. Where is your God who sustains you, who restores you? Look at the mess that you've gotten yourself into. Now, I I think having grown up reading that or singing that song, as consoling as it might be, that is not a clear... If you could really put music to this thing, it would be... <laughs> you ever seen a deer pant? Tongue sticking out? What's going on? This thing is running for its life. I think David is describing a deer that's been hunted, maybe by him. Maybe the arrow has pierced him, but it hasn't quite killed him yet. That's why when we sing the song, yes, really, tears for your food? That doesn't sing well. 
that we turn to when we're going through hell. This is a battle for our souls, for the restoration of our souls from these enemies of doubt, unbelief, fear, discouragement. If we are going through hell and our answer is not God, then all we will be left with is the same question, where is my God? We will start to agree with that question. We will. If our answer, if our source for the restoration of our soul is not God, we will start to agree. We will start to go, yeah, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Yeah, 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 I think God did. Is trying to keep something from us. You know what? I don't think he has our best interest in mind. Yeah, and we start to allow that accusation, that question to come in. Why? That's exactly where the enemy wants us to go. Why? Why is that? Because it's a dead end. Rather than asking why, God's called us to say, what is your purpose, Lord? What is your purpose in all of this? Because this seems like, this feels like this is ruining me. But God, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? When we can't sense or feel God, we can tend to agree with our enemy based upon what we feel. Our feelings are so strong. We have been so indoctrinated by our culture to feel it. And if we're not feeling it, baby, what do we do? We abandon it. We've been so told by our, our culture that if we're not comfortable, if things aren't going the way that we want them to go, if we're not prospering, and really experiencing blessing, then, man, we're, we must be, something must be wrong in our relationship with God. He must be upset with us. When all 11 of Christ's 12 apostles all were tortured and murdered for following Him, it doesn't go very well with the prosperity message, does it? That doesn't fly real well in America. But that message is preaching very, very well in the Middle East, in China, India, different places like that. Why? Because they have nothing to lose. It's like, Jesus, take me home. Use me here on earth if you can, but if it's better that I go, so be it. Off with my head. very easy. It doesn't doesn't take any work to go with our feelings. What are the results of staying stuck with our questions? Our questions become accusations against God. Why? Why did you allow this to happen? 
If you're a good God and you are loving, the age-old question has been asked for thousands of years. If you could have prevented this from happening, why didn't you, if you're so loving? And so those questions, when we don't learn to live with questions which is rooted in trusting God, then those questions become accusations. Which produces isolation. Historically, this is one of the greatest killers of men in particular. Women are, are much better at the whole relational thing, staying connected, all that. But guys, when things don't go well, we tend to isolate. When we're not fathering well, when we're not husbanding well, when we're not relating well, just... You know, to, to other human beings, we tend to isolate. We tend to pull away. One of the greatest things that is killing uh, men today. Because he goes on in Psalm 42, the psalmist says, he says, I used to walk among the crowds of worshipers. Wow, do you see the relational connection? But I'm a deer now, painting for water, and I'm confused, and I'm wondering... Where is my God? I've started to, to agree with the accusations that my enemies have brought. Where is your God? He says, I used to walk among the crowds of worshipers, leading up a great procession of the house of God. What does that mean? That means Bob should be up here with the flags, pageantry, leading everybody around the whole sanctuary, dancing, going for it, right? He refuses to answer. <laughs> All right, I'll go to this side of the room. I'll try this side of the room. John, Ooh, right? oh, yes. James, we got him. We got him. We got a man. Seriously, look at this. Leading this great procession of the house, God singing for joy and giving thanks. It was the sound of a great celebration. In worship, in worship and song, anyway. You know, how many of you guys have been to a sporting event? You know, Courtney was just at the World Cup, Women's World Cup soccer stuff. Yeah, exactly. Elias like this. You know, he's grooving in his chair. If he was up, you know, his legs be moving, his feet and all that. And we, you know, when we see somebody win and we're excited about our team and the Seahawks and the Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff, what are we doing? We had a crazy bunch of people at our house. And every time something would happen, people were jumping out, Cheetos flying everywhere. Stuff's going all over the place. Why? Because we were excited about our team. Well, we come to church and we think, oh, yeah, I'm not the church. I just go to church. So what am I going to do? I'm going to sit here and be quiet because this is a religious ceremony that we go through. Nope. Wrong answer. And we're going to get the Seahawks who don't give a rip about you and me. Other than to make sure that we give them our money every time we go to the games or whatever. They don't care anything about us. And yet here we are worshiping like crazy people for our favorite team. And Jesus, who died, who gave everything, and we're like, thank you very much. Just want to acknowledge you. See you next week, Jesus. This whole psalm is conditional. If, everybody say if. If. 
Say, if the Lord is my shepherd, I will have want of nothing. If the Lord is my shepherd, he will restore my soul. If the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green meadows and pastures. And you can go listen to the other podcasts that we've done um, when we talk about and break down those different things. But it's conditioned upon whether or not he is actually the Lord of our life. I love what he's saying here, though, but um, in Psalm 42, he's talking about being connected relationally to the people, the family of God. Nobody's on an island under themselves, and any island eventually gets toasted, don't they? It doesn't go well when we try and go solo. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God, the family of God. He's a worshiper. Man, that we would be worshipers. Worshippers, crazy worshippers. Not just in song, but in our lives. People look at us and like, oh man, that guy's passionate. Not about the Seahawks, but about someone that really matters. Man, that dude is passionate about his friendships. That dude is passionate about his marriage. That dude's passionate about his kids. The stuff that really matters. David's a servant leader. He's got joy that goes beyond the waves and tide of happiness that comes and goes. He's got this attitude of gratitude. Attitude of gratitude. Being thankful for everything. Dear God, I need that so much in my life. An attitude of gratitude. I do. Start thinking about how you know bummed out I am. If I would start being grateful for what I do have, what God's blessed me with. As I was preparing this, I was just sitting there. I was, I was just thinking of all the things. Man, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving me this. Thank you for taking that away. You saved my life when you took that away. That was your mercy because I met my wife. Verse 11, Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Modern translation. Why am I so depressed? He goes on to say, I need some medication. Oh, but I'll put my hope in God. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not really feeling it. This word downcast or cast is actually sheep terminology, if you believe it or not. I didn't know this. I'm learning from the shepherds, the experienced guys, as I'm studying this. And uh, this uh, a cast sheep, um, this happens when it, it will, it'll lay down and it kind of gets in this little... You know, kind of a, a cutout or a, in uh, what's it called? Uh, indentation in the ground. And it gets kind of cozy there. But then what will happen is the sheep will actually, you know, move around a little bit and it will roll over. Once it rolls over, it's now cast or downcast and completely incapable of rolling back on its feet. Do you know that within hours, depending on the temperature, if it's really hot, it's got a matter of hours before it will die. 
It's gas, or this stomach fills up with gas, and then it will begin to expire. And Jesus describes us as sheep. How encouraging. They are completely helpless. If the shepherd does not find the sheep in a, in a, in a good amount of time, that sheep will die. Could be days. It's a tough way to go. If the wall is too much, we showed a picture of Shrek, the sheep, the other day, where he had 60 pounds of wool that he had grown. Why? Because he was wandering around in caves all by himself. He wasn't following the direction of the shepherd. He was alone. He didn't have the careful, watchful eye of the shepherd. So what will happen, Isaiah? This is what happened. We know that the shepherd, when he finds the sheep, he will go looking for him as he's looking. He's counting heads, right? And then he sees feet bobbing up and down. And uh, he will go over there, and he will beat that sheep to teach it to not do that again. Isn't that right? Is that true? No, he doesn't want to hurt his sheep. It's amazing, though, the perspective that we have of God, isn't it? We have this perspective that when we fall, that when we fail, that when we're helpless, that when we can't do it, that he just wants to beat on us. I'm just going to show you, you stupid sheep. Isaiah gets another piece of candy, Andrew. He's saying, no way. Not my good shepherd. No, he doesn't. Actually, in shepherds describing what they do, they actually run over to the sheep. They're so concerned about the sheep, and they, they, they carefully and tenderly turn it back on its side so that its legs are down. And, uh, and then he begins to massage the legs, get the circulation going again. He's talking to the sheep. Come on, you sheep. Come on, stay on you. You know, stand, stay upright. Stay upright. Let's keep going. What are you doing? He's just talking, speaking tenderly to the sheep, gets the sheep upright back on its feet again, and then sends them on its way after a while. It finally, when the blood rushes out of its head, it's ready to go back and join the rest of the fold. Think about the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 12, Luke 15. He tells a number of different parables, like the lost son, but he also tells about the lost sheep. He would leave the 99 and go find the one. That's how much he cares about us. A couple of things I just want to talk to fathers about. Things that have been um, born great fruit in my life. And this is true for both, again, natural biological fathers, but as well as spiritual fathers, things that can help us become better shepherds of the under-shepherds of the sheep that God has entrusted us. But, um, you know, men are good fixers, right? Uh, for the most part. Most of the time, even if we can't fix stuff, we like to fix things. We're, and um, we're not always very good listeners. All the women are like, <clears throat> we're not always good listeners. But we like to fix stuff. 
So on behalf of all men, I want to apologize on behalf of us for, for a lot of times we don't listen very well. Guys are written on their heads. We need to grow in that area. And um, most of the time, though, learning how to um, value by listening rather than trying to fix. As my girls are older now, my two oldest are 16 and um, almost 15. Trinity will be 15 in, in July. And the thing that I've had to learn more than anything else is they've come and say, Dad, can I talk to you? I just want to just fix everything and start talking and breaking everything, di- dissecting it. And they're just like, can you just, can you just listen to me? Would that be okay? Oh, sorry. But becoming a good listener, the time that we spend um, is also so important. Because it, what is it, it communicates value. All these are value statements that dads, um, these shepherds have been given as stewardship of these kids and uh, fishing, camping. I know Bruce, he loves to go out and just, you know, I think it's more for him sometimes, which it is for me as well, you know, to get out and do those types of things. We love dragging our kids along and hopefully they'll enjoy it with us. But um, it's, it's time where we can get that time away just with them. And I would just put that plug, sow that seed of dads playing out ahead, time to get with your kids. Tell your life stories, not just your victories. Tell your life stories, not just your victories. Share your failings. I was so drawn in when my dad would show, would, he would tell me about his failures. Wrong decisions that he would make. But don't forget to include the redemptive, restorative process and the grace of God in the midst of that situation. Because in hindsight, right, you look back and it's like, wow, God was, was all over that. What is the root word in the word um, message? We all have a story or a message. What's the root word there? Mess. Mess. There's two of them there. Mess and age. As we age, we tend to make a greater mess of things, don't we? Yeah. But our mess is our message. It's right in there. Our tests that we have faced in life are our what? They're our testimony. That's what we tell. It's like, man, I messed things up. I did this. I did this. But God, I will put my hope in God. Allow the nasty, smelly fertilizer of our failures to enhance and allow somebody else's life to grow. Tell about those failures and those shortcomings. Spend time, regular time, um, with your kids. I think, I can't remember a day that went by that my dad didn't say to me, Eric, I'm proud of you, and I love you. I know there were days when that didn't happen, but I can't remember any of them. So, what are we characterized by? What are we known for? Is there enough evidence in our life as a father that we could be convicted of being a dad? Time? Love? Affection? All these different things.
I'm always working to try and reduce the screen time that my kids get and increase the face time that they're getting with me. In this digital age, technology, all the rest, that we would grow in that area. Well, I want to uh, I want to wrap things up here. And Lisa was um, taking me to the airport here a little bit ago, and, and she was we were going past this father and son. The father was on the front bike, and then there's those little it's it's not a tandem bike because. You know, it's just the, the kids' part of it is connected to it. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what that's called? A trail bike? Trailer bike. Okay, so the bike is trailing behind. And this little kid, you know, he is just, he is going for it, man. He is cycling. He's pedaling for all he's got. And the dad, you know, is up there. And the kid's just, you know, kind of looking around. And he's enjoying it. He's got the same outfit that his dad has on. And, I mean, they are having a great time. And this young son, I know, he thinks he's doing all the work. But this little guy, what does he get to do? He gets to go along with that. He gets to basically, if you will, if we can use the analogy, live life under the power of another. Because it's really, even though we think that we're doing all this work, it's really the power by the grace of God that allows us to do what we do. Otherwise, we have to live under the exhaustion of trying to do things in our own strength. But that's not what this life was intended to be. This life was intended to be lived by grace and grace alone. Would you stand with me, guys? We're not meant to father that in our own strength. I can't think of a time when it's gone well when I've tried to do that. I need God to restore my soul. I believe that He wants to do that and continue to do that for all of us. If you're in that place of your dad and your soul needs healing. You suffer from that post-traumatic stress dad thing, syndrome that's going on. Of the failures, of the defeats, of the, you know, the different circumstances of that. I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you for being an example to us of what it means to be a great son. You said that you love to please your dad. And that's in all of us. We're dad pleasers. We're father pleasers. Even to the one, the fathers who would never give us any recognition in our life. Who would never acknowledge our, our, um, our accomplishments. And we could never do enough for them. We tried and we tried to perform and perform and perform. But we just couldn't please them. But you, from the beginning, have been so fully, completely pleased with us. I'm asking that your affirmation would just flow over every single man and woman here, young and old. Your love, your affirmation, your affection. God, you, you came down and you said for all of us to be able to hear through your word that you are fully pleased with Jesus. You delight in him. You love him. You're so proud of him. 
And in Christ, we receive that same affirmation. Would that resonate within our hearts tonight? That we could walk out of here filled up, completely confident that our Father loves us. And that would affect every single person, every, every pre-father here. Every, every father who no longer has kids living at home or, or whatever. And everybody who's experienced such a difficult time in their own earthly father and their relationship with them. Lord, heal, restore their soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, dads, keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. It's going to be okay. God's going to get us through. He is going to get us through. Um, when you walk out the doors tonight, uh, your um, dads, we want, we want to just give you something just to say, way to go. We love you. Keep going for it. Um, be encouraged. So every single dad, would you take just a, a gift there uh, as you uh, exit the building tonight? And we just want to say, good job. Good job. Have a great evening. Have a great Father's Day celebration uh, tomorrow. Good night. Good night.